A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Glad you could join us today. As we revel in wrong think, which it turns out is a necessity if you want to stay rooted in reality. Here to help us on our journey today is my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm pretty good. Uh, I haven't yet seen the hut, hut, hut crew coming down my driveway, but it's probably on the way. Man, it's it's looking pretty official. I mean, we knew after January 6th that the left was drawing a bead on anybody who wasn't on board with their plans for remaking us, you know, in, in a communist uh, sort of way. But wow, they actually went after yeah. and sent the FBI to raid Trump's Florida home. I'd like to get your reaction. Well, theatric, theatricality matters. You know, this is just sort of a, a sequel to what was done previously. Remember when they did the same to Roger Stone, uh, you know, who's an old guy, clearly not a violent guy. And uh, they sent armed agents to just crash into his house as if he was the Symbionese Liberation Army, again, to convey a message, a Sicilian message. I just wrote an article about that, you know. Uh, it, it, you cross the Don, and this is what's going to happen to you. And now they've done it not just to the orange man. I think it's very important that people understand this. It's not about the orange man per se. It's about us. What they are going to do is attempt to guilt by association anybody who can be characterized as supporting the orange man, which to the left is anybody who doesn't support the left. And they'll be characterized as a threat to our democracy, if not seditious and treasonous. That's the message that's been conveyed by this event. Yeah, that's and that's the scary part, because we we already have seen, you know, the FBI has has dumbed down its, you know, its standards of, well, this is what constitutes. Uh, I guess, you know, extremist or violent extremist activity Mm -hmm. for crying out loud, the Betsy Ross flag, the Gadsden flag, simple things. Well, how about the uh, the business uh, last year when they were investigating parents for showing up at school board meetings to question critical race theory? Just ordinary suburban parents showing up. Hey, I want to know what's going on. What's being talked to my kids? Those people were targeted by the FBI for investigation. Yeah, it's it should be pretty clear to anybody paying attention now that uh, the government has officially chosen who its enemies are going to be. And if you're on the side of freedom, my friend, that's you. That's me. So I guess we need to accept it and and decide how to move forward from here. Yeah, but, you know, this is a good dose of reality. I, I don't think that this is a new thing. I think it has always been the case, but it has been couched in this nonsense about the rule of law, objective justice and so on, which has been a bunch of cant for probably at least the past 20, 30 years or even longer. Uh, the reality is there are laws and enforcement for the uh, for us and for them. And this just makes it very apparent. And I think it's a healthy and a good thing, really, to understand what the situation is. Because once you understand what the reality is, you can begin to deal with it. Right. Right. There's just there's no point in denying it, though, any longer. You know, if you if you wondered, well, are they really trying to box us into a corner? The answer is yes. And how how much more clear would it have to be? Would they have to be putting you on cattle cars before you'd finally start to say, you know, something about this doesn't feel right? Yeah. And there is an additional facet to this, I think, which is that by acting in this manner, 
they are actually uh, acting so as to delegitimize their own authority when it becomes manifestly clear that there is no law except force and whoever has the power to exercise it, then they can only rule by force, not by consent. And they are pushing people to that realization. We live in a banana republic, uh, uh, you know, some kind of a third world country where it's a jefe with epaulets on his shoulders, all but, you know, I mean, they ought to put Biden in a suit like that and put him forward and just let's make it official. No, I hear you. It's uh, it's alarming to, to see it out in the open like this, but at the same time, when you recognize it for what it is, you have options, as in you can choose to go along with it or you can choose to withdraw your consent. And I'm hoping, you know, anybody within the sound of our voices is definitely on, on the withdraw consent side of that equation. Well, and I think perhaps the time has come to start to consider additional steps beyond that. In other words, rather than simply talk to act uh, and as by as by simply not complying with this stuff and you know no longer obeying it. And I think it, it goes beyond the individual level. I think it goes to the level of, of our elected officials as well. Some of the examples that have occurred in the past are using the same tactics as the left, which did things like declare certain areas to be sanctuaries for illegal immigrants, for example. Uh, and in return, some smart, savvy people on our side said, well, we're going to have Second Amendment sanctuary areas too. And I think we could do the same with regard to this political dissent, simply say this is not acceptable. And and our county, our state will henceforth be a sanctuary for due process. And we will not enforce uh, unconstitutional, arbitrary edicts issuing from the federal government in Washington and then let them make the next move. By the way, speaking of of acting versus talking, um, Pete DeSantis, the governor in Florida. Yeah seems to have, have been a pretty good example of what it means to be a person of action as opposed to simply standing there making politician noises. Yeah, you know, I have gotten very tired, really tired over the years now of hearing about, hearing from conservatives who never seem able to conserve anything, uh, who, who just seriously seed ground to the left on every important issue. Now, DeSantis, he's not perfect, but he has done some pretty remarkable things with regard to the masks and the vaccines. He acted. And he provided a very salutary example of how you do it. And he has another opportunity, I think, here. Because after all, uh, the orange man's exile and residence is in Florida. And he could perhaps use his authority and his power uh, in a way so as to prevent any of the, you know, the additional steps and measures that uh, are apparently being contemplated. Now, the thing that worries me is I think that we're being maneuvered into, into a situation where somebody might do something violent, which would be catastrophic. You know, if that happens, it's going to give these leftists the opportunity to then say, oh, look, it's a real threat to our democracy, white supremacy, they're out to get us, and really, really lock us down and clamp us down. And it's critically important that we on our side of the fence not fall for that and are very careful not only in what we do, but also what we say. Do you get the impression that uh, those who are in power at this moment, the Democrats, are basically just trying to... uh... I don't know, loot the Treasury, do everything they can to do us dirty. This latest bill, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, inflation, yeah. Make Inflation Worse Act or whatever it was, <laughs> right. 87,000 new IRS agents. That sure. doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like government is just, you know, gearing up to try to help us. It sounds like it's trying to go to war with us. Well, it's another Sicilian message. You know, they are going to add a literal army of federal bureaucrats to uh, go after us financially and economically. That's key to this because you control the population in, in, uh, in, a few, in a few particular ways. One is by food, another is by money, by economics, and by terrorizing people. Look what was done in Canada when Trudeau seized the bank accounts of people who had the affrontery to contribute 
to the Freedom Convoy. That's the kind of thing that they want to implement here. Unreal. Well, if we ever wished we lived in interesting times, Eric, I think we got that wish. And no question. Uh, and, and I think it's picking up speed. Uh, you know, the fact that they did this raid now, I don't think it's just a random thing that happened naturally. I think it is calculated because we're approaching the midterms and things are amping up. And these people cannot permit, I don't think they're going to allow uh, the midterms to go off naturally. I think that they're well aware that the, the possibility for some kind of mass repudiation uh, is in the works. Look what happened in Arizona, for example. Oh, yeah. they, they just cannot allow something like that to happen. So how better to divert attention from it and even uh, suspend the elections? I mean, it's a conceivable thing. I don't think that's uh, beyond the pale of possibility by, uh, by declaring there's a, you know, that, that there's this movement afoot, the orange man, the MAGAs, uh, you know, they're going to suspend our democracy. They're going to uh, they're going to take over. And by using that as a pretext, perhaps they'll find some way to just delay the elections or, or not have them entirely. I don't know what they're up to, but I, whatever they're up to, it's not good. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I'm I'm with you on this one, Eric, you know, with the with the midterms coming up. I think uh, the political class or those in power realize their their time is getting short because people are fed up and the mask has mm-hmm. slipped. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see them force some kind of a crisis to either cancel the elections or otherwise, uh, you know, blunt the voter turnout. Another another series of lockdowns, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, related to this is what happened to Alex Jones the other day. You know, I'm very ambivalent about AJ. Uh, you know, and I don't want to get into that per se, but I think what we should get into is the fact that that was another Sicilian message. Uh, you know, he was hit with something like 50 million just about in compensatory and punitive damages, not for anything he did, as I understand the case, but because of what he said. And it's important to italicize that. Uh, you know, just as he was initially the, the first high-profile target that got deplatformed and demonetized a couple years ago, you remember that, uh, you know, this is what they're going to do next. They're going to go after people in the same manner who they deem to be some kind of a threat for spreading information that they don't like. Yep, I'm with you on that one too, Eric. Uh, and it- you know, not everybody who's who's uh, as flamboyant, people who aren't as flamboyant as Alex Jones may think, well, I'm safe. But the message is only as long as, uh, you know, we're not looking at you. Hold that thought. We're going right. to come back in a few moments. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. I've got a link in the show notes to take you to his website. Check it out. Read the comments, too. You'll get an education in the comments section. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, uh, I was talking with my father-in-law the other day. He just spent some time earlier this year back in Washington, D.C. Something that he mm-hmm. pointed out to me that I thought was really interesting. I guess I, I lead a sheltered life, and I'm grateful for this. But he said electric cars are becoming the norm in Washington, D.C. Like that is that is mm-hmm. a status symbol to show how green thou art, you know, uh, to drive an electric car. You had right. a very recent you had a recent article about zero emissions for real. Let's let's talk about that idea. Yeah, it was kind of an attempt to poke a hole in the fatuity that uh, electric cars are zero emissions cars. Rush Limbaugh pointed out years ago that they are, in fact, elsewhere emissions cars in that 
the preponderance, more than 80, 85% of the electricity that they feed on comes from the power grid, right? And the power grid is predominantly powered by burning coal, oil, and natural gas. So I made a modest suggestion in the Swiftian sense that perhaps there ought to be a law, a regulation, a mandate that these zero emissions vehicles uh, obtain their electricity exclusively through clean methods, such as solar power, for example. Uh, and that way they wouldn't be dishonest and they would actually live up to their marketing. Of course, the problem with that is you'd have to equip your house with probably $50,000 worth of electrical uh, solar panels and inverters and batteries and so on in order to make this feasible. And even then, you wouldn't be able to fast charge. And that would make electric cars a whole lot less appealing to these affluent elitists like the ones that live in D.C. and uh, parade around their virtue by driving their, their $50,000 Tesla. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I think I'm going to find myself nodding in agreement on this one. I, you know, out, out here in the West, we have a, a ton of what are called wind farms. In fact, we've got yeah. a huge, probably 4,500 acre wind farm that's, that's going in not too far from where I am. And it's got the locals all upset. You know, there's, you know, big wind turbines is going to kill eagles and whatnot. And they do occasionally, but yeah. it would be interesting to hold the hardcore environmental crowd to, to its own standards. Yeah, and, you know, there's another facet to this, and I've written about this previously. If, indeed, the climate is in crisis and it's an emergency, we just have to take all necessary measures to deal with it. All right, well, then how do you justify these electric cars that are uh, fundamentally high-performance cars, like the Teslas, that tout their power, their capability, their speed? All of these things are extraneous. If the climate is changing and we're all going to drown and burn to death, you know, you'd think that they would insist and require that electric cars be efficient and modest and use the least amount of electricity possible for purposes of A to B conveyance. But they don't, do they? So instead, it's become this, this, this very flashy status symbol that very affluent people like to drive around in uh, so that they can pretend that they're in queue and in line with all of the latest orthodoxies, but in no way deviating from their affluent, consumptive lifestyle. Yeah, I'm just, I'm finding myself feeling more and more resentful of uh, this this wholesale, we will get everyone off fossil fuels and we'll do it sooner than later mm-hmm. without uh, any concern about uh, how far are we going to have to lower our standard of living to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Did you catch the news that in Spain, the government there decreed that essentially air conditioning indoors uh, will be unlawful henceforth, that they have to keep their thermostat step at 80 degrees. Any lower than that is illegal because of climate change. No, I hadn't heard that, but but at the same time, I'm not surprised. You know, Europe has let out like this. But you're right. This is all about ensurfing us, about diminishing us, about reducing us to the status of peasants. And I think that there's a psychological element to it. I think that a lot of these elitists um, can't abide the fact that uh, that ordinary people have a single family home that has air conditioning, that has a, has two vehicles. Uh, maybe a motorcycle, maybe an RV. In other words, they, they need to have the distinction between their wealth and the poverty of others rather than just be content with the fact that they're wealthy and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the fruits of their wealth. They want everybody else to be poor so that they can feel that much more magnifico about how rich they are. Yep. Well, and it's, it's, to me, it's also just another mechanism of control. And it seems like since the last uh, general election, that's kind of been, the, that's the, the purpose of politics. It's not about solving problems and helping people work things out. It's about uh, how can we punish whoever disagrees with us. And this seems like a pretty effective form of punishment. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, I want to cue in on your use of the word punishment, because that's just it. We've transcended subtly, and here we are to this position where it's no longer that we have a disagreement. You know, uh, I, I don't feel the same way as you about whatever an issue is. Now, for the left, if you don't agree with them, you're a bad person. You're evil. You're a heretic. They have founded a kind of new religion. You know, it has all of the aspects of a cult. Uh, you know, and, and if you were a heretic, you know, if you were morally reprobate for, for disagreeing with them, it's not merely that you disagree with them. It's that you're, you're something that must be scourged, you know, must be, must be excised or exercised. And that, that is what we're dealing with here. Wow. So we got our work cut out for us on a couple of fronts here, Eric. Number one, if we want to stay free, it's, it's time to really, you know, use your legs, not your back, but to do some heavy lifting. Secondly, yep. uh, you've got to stay in touch with reality and that's not getting any easier given all the misinformation i mean real misinformation blasted at us around the clock yeah and we've got to have the fortitude to simply stand up and say no i know it's not easy uh you know it's difficult it was difficult to not bow to the mask and and to not get the vaccine you just wanted to go to work you just wanted to be able to live your life uh, you didn't want to annoy your family members. You know, all of these things. It's difficult. I understand it. I've experienced it myself. But, you know, it is our lot that we have got to live uh, up to the tough times that we're living in, or we are going to suffer far worse times to come. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it, this is one of the reasons why I know you've been a longtime proponent of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Not so much that you need to go be a hermit living on the side of a mountain, but the more you can take care of your own affairs, the less you are going to be manipulable or, uh, you know, pliable when someone else comes along and says, look, you have to do this or else. Well, you know, Americans have lost touch with what used to be fairly typical in that most Americans wanted to be self-sufficient to the extent that they could, wanted to be knowledgeable, wanted to be able to do more for themselves. You and I grew up in a, in a society where dads taught their, their sons how to fix a lawnmower, uh, you know, how, how to do some plumbing or electric. And, you know, we picked these things up and the more we picked up, uh, the more uh, the more we felt that we were capable on our own and didn't have to rely on experts all the time. And you know, intellectually not depending on others for our uh, for our thoughts and our views about things is equally, if not more important. We need to recover those things and be independent, which once characterized the American people. Eric, we're, we're down to just a couple of minutes here. Um Let's. I want to. I want to just shift for a moment to automotive things, um, because yeah. you, you are my foremost source of uh, automotive information. If I want to know what's cool, if I want to know what's going on, I turn mm-hmm. to Eric Peters because you've been first and foremost uh, a car writer. What's on your radar screen that uh, that is noteworthy, exciting? Well, I have uh, the the new Toyota Tundra this week, and I just actually posted my review of it, which you can see on the site if you're interested. And the interesting thing about the Tundra is it is the only half-ton truck uh, on the market right now that not only doesn't come standard with a V8, it doesn't even offer a V8 anymore. Toyota has put in a twin-turbocharged, twin-intercooled V6 engine in place of the V8 that used to be standard. And, of course, the reason for that isn't because the people who buy Tundras or trucks generally don't want V8s. It's because the government is doing its darndest to make sure that people who buy trucks can no longer get V8s. Uh, and it's, it's a really alarming trend because it's going to continue to the point where probably they won't even be able to use these V6s and they'll have to go down to fours. And of course, the ultimate objective, I think, and it's pretty clear to me, is to get rid of engines entirely and have them be nothing but electric and by dint of that, be essentially useless and unaffordable for most people. 
Well, I've always uh, wondered if I would ever end up living in the song Red Barchetta by Rush. And it appears that, yep, uh, yep that one's, that one's going to come true, I suppose. Yeah, you and me both. You know, I've got the redneck version of that. I have the orange Barchetta, my, my old Trans Am out in the garage. And you know, I'll, I'll keep it safe for my niece and she can come out to my country place and, and she can drive it <laughs> in defiance of the motor law. <laughs> I love it. Eric, thank you so much for being my guest. Thanks for being a voice of reason amidst a uh, sea of uh, insanity out there. Thanks, Brian. See you in the camps. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to Garage Door Pros, a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, also Mesquite, Nevada, and Colorado City, Arizona. Bottom line is, if you need installation, service, or repair of your garage door, whether it be a residential or a commercial uh, door, you need to talk to Garage Door Pros. Or better still, go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. Quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. You ought to just actually go to their website and check out some of the glowing reviews given by their customers. Garagedoorproservices.com. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the war on dissent. You know, this isn't just some conspiracy theory, although I'm sure, you know, there are those within the legacy media that would say, oh, it's, you know, just another, another unproven conspiracy theory. But the truth of the matter is, the war on dissent is quickly becoming official policy just about everywhere you look. I've got a great article here from Whitney Webb. This was in BitcoinMagazine.com about the war on dissent, and especially about how online censorship is quickly becoming normalized as free speech is restricted and deplatformed one by one by one under ever-changing rules. So Whitney Webb says, Online censorship is becoming increasingly normalized as growing restrictions, deplatforming, and its other manifestations have become so pervasive that many have simply come to accept it. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty stark opening statement, but I think she's absolutely right. I even catch myself, you know, falling into the trap of, well, you know, that's just how it is. You got the algorithms out there trying to keep you quiet. And, you know, in my case, I've got YouTube digging back, you know, they're, they're just working their way backward through content that I've posted. And uh, I now have two strikes against me. I'll, I'll lose my, uh, my YouTube account on the next strike. And they're going to find it for crying out loud. I've been pretty consistent in the stuff that I've talked about, some of which is is very forbidden. We do not question these things. We do not question consensus. Nonetheless, back to Whitney Webb's article. She says, This new normal for free speech is as insidious as it has been gradual, and we're increasingly being trained to accept unconstitutional limitations on what we can express on the websites that dominate online socialization. And she says, like so much of our lives, his social interaction has moved online at a rapid pace in the last decade, meaning that restrictions imposed upon online speech have a disproportionate effect 
on speech in general. She says the argument is often deployed to dismiss concerns regarding online censorship is the argument that dominant social media firms are private, not public entities. But listen to this. She points out, in reality, the big tech firms that dominate our online lives, particularly Google and Facebook, were either created with some involvement of the U.S. national security state or have become major U.S. government and or military contractors over the past two decades. By the way, she cites examples and has footnotes to show you what she's talking about. And when it comes to censoring and deplatforming individuals for claims that run counter to U.S. government narratives, it should be clear that Google-owned YouTube and other tech platforms owned by contractors to the U.S. military and intelligence communities have a major conflict of interest in their stifling of speech. Isn't that something? And the crazy thing about it, someone pointed this out today, and I thought this was, this was actually really astute observation. <clears throat> someone else had just lost, uh, they, they just had their, their Twitter account permanently suspended. And someone made the point, it wasn't so much the influence of this one person that Twitter was trying to shut down. It's the influence of all the people who have been listening to and magnifying the message of that one person. That's the idea, is to blunt their influence as well. And part of it is in the dissemination of information, which I'm sure the regime would call misinformation online, as well as uh, you know their ability to participate in, in the political process, to, to actually believe you know that, uh, that what they're doing in any way, shape, or form makes a difference. I guess this is as good a time as any for, for me to point out that, um, you know, this is psychological warfare. So it's helpful to remember this as, you know, the, the news stories come at you, the falsehoods, the, the mental beat down that we have been under for the last couple of years never stopped. It may have shifted form. It may have shifted focus. Okay, instead of working on your kidneys, we're going to beat the soles of your feet, you know, whatever it is. But it's ongoing all the time. It's why I do what I do. It's why I share with you the best information sources I can find, including this excellent article by Whitney Webb on dissent. I'm going to skip ahead here because this is a a pretty comprehensive article. You're not going to digest this just perhaps over lunch, unless you're a quick reader. But she goes through and talks about some of the ways that, uh, that Silicon Valley is joined at the hip with the national security state. Yes, the one that spies on everything you do, everything you say, every place you go online. That national security state. So this shouldn't exactly be, you know, a surprise that, well, gee, it's strange that they would find their way together. I mean, there's power at stake. And of course, the the experiments were done just a few years ago by Facebook itself. And they talked about this openly, about how they can manipulate people's emotional well-being and emotional state of mind. We live in really interesting times. And back to this article here from Whitney Webb. You know, she talks about how there are systems that have been put in place and that continue to be put in place that are looking to 
disrupt what uh, officials or those in power are calling disinformation or misinformation. And essentially, it's anything that challenges their consensus. Yes, their forced consensus. So very complicated algorithms sneak around, you know, in the Internet. They analyze everything. Is someone expressing unapproved thought here? And this is when you get flagged by Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Let me see if I can just cut right to the chase here on Whitney Webb's article. She talks about how such control of information has been a goal of some within the U.S. military and intelligence communities, but she also points out that goal is anathema to the values and desires of the vast majority of Americans. And if there's no meaningful pushback against the increasing fusion of the national security state and big tech, well, then Americans are guaranteed to lose much more than just the freedom of speech, as controlling speech is just the first step toward controlling all behavior. In fact, Whitney Webb finishes by saying, Americans would do well to remember the warning of Benjamin Franklin as the U.S. government moves to criminalize free speech under the guise of protecting national security. That advice was those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. I mean, I don't want to sit here and blow this out of proportion, but... Can we just come right out and say it at this point? It should be obvious. Your federal government is preparing to go to war with its citizens. It just bought a ton of ammunition and armed a ton of IRS agents and hired a bunch of IRS agents. 87,000, I believe, was the number I saw reported. Why would it do that? Why is it so intent on bringing you to heal and bringing me to heal? I mean, the January 6th insurrection stuff, we're going to talk about that coming up here in the next segment. The FBI raiding Trump's home in Florida. We have a very highly politicized federal law enforcement apparatus looking at people, anybody, on the, on the political right. Anybody who expresses any degree of patriotism or any degree of skepticism that everything their federal government is doing is, is good and normal and absolutely within its proper moral boundaries. Now, if you deviate from, from the official line, if you so much as, as question, you commit face crime, right? That look of what? No way. That's enough to land you on the suspicious side of things. And this is all right out in the open. <clears throat> this is not a matter of, you know, well, nobody could have seen it coming. It's happening right now under our noses. And it's not a pleasant thing to face because it probably means conflict is coming, maybe sooner than later. Certainly don't hope that's the case, but good heavens. The ruling class keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. It's like it's like they're trying to push someone into acting out violently so they can say, see, see, that's why we're the victims and have been all along. They're pathetic. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, I would like to thank HSLAmmo.com and LifesavingFood.com for being two of my fine sponsors. By the way, they have products that I'm sure will actually help you in uh, being prepared for the unexpected as well as just having the peace of mind of knowing you have options and that you have a little something put aside should a rainy day ever come. Just hope you'll do business with them. There are links in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I would invite you to click on those sponsor links and get to know those sponsors personally. Well, nowhere does the legacy media reveal its uh, corruptibility and its ideological activist bent more than in how it has just continued to pursue that false insurrection narrative to weaponize public policy against its political opponents. Got a great article here from Matthew Booz, who says that uh, the media's insurrection fixation paints a skewed picture of political reality. He says, with the January 6th circus, the Democratic Party is demanding unconditional loyalty in the name of the democratic, democratic principles they reject. Now, he gets right to it. Matthew Booth says, the events of January 6th, 2021 was not a particularly egregious attack on democracy. Oh, I know some people will lose their lunch over that. But he says, January 6th was exceptional because it flipped the norm in our politics on its head. Compared to the lawless left, the right in this country is well-behaved, perhaps to a fault. He says conservatives have shown extraordinary forbearance over the years, all while having their faces rubbed in the mud by our political and cultural elites. When the Capitol protest turned to riot, the right snapped. Frustration with the rigged game had reached a breaking point. Now at the forefront, of course, were grievances concerning the presidential election. Many, although not all, of the Capitol's protesters' grievances were perfectly legitimate. Election laws had been changed, or fortified, as Time magazine would later boast, without going through the proper legal channels. People were denied, for the first time in the nation's history, timely and transparent results. And while we've heard again and again that the election was free and fair, and anyone who disagrees is a Nazi, obviously... It was hardly normal for the media and intelligence community to quash a major scandal about a presidential candidate's son at the 11th hour. And the Hunter Biden story is only, the begin, only beginning to receive a fraction of the attention it deserves. So what's the lesson here? That the people must acquiesce to having their elections interfered with by propaganda artists in the news media? Is that what democracy means? And what of the Black Lives Matter uprising of 2020? Was that just normal democracy stuff, too? The mostly peaceful riots have disappeared down media's memory hole, which is odd because they were much more extensive, longer-lasting, and destructive to human lives and property than January 6th. So it's easy to forget now, but the BLM rioters torched a police station. Sounds a little insurrection-y, no? Two years later, we're still living with the consequences of the summer of love. Anarchy is a major, or rather a routine, fact of life in many of our cities. Now, he says the George Floyd insurrection was the violent climax of a relentless soft coup, proudly labeled the resistance by its participants. It sought to cancel the results of the 2016 election and deny Trump a second term by any means necessary. 
Trump spent the majority of his four years in office swamped with phony collusion allegations that didn't let up until the moment they ceased to be politically expedient. Around the, around the time, Robert Mueller's embarrassing testimony exposed the truth. At which point, the left moved on as if they'd not spent the last three years telling Americans their democracy had been hijacked by a foreign power. And are we just supposed to forget that Hillary Clinton effectively kneecapped her rival's administration with disinformation, portraying the, the president as a Russian saboteur? Are we to accept as normal the FBI spying on the presidential campaigns of those disfavored by the elites? Once that extraordinary precedent was set, all bets were off. And look where we are now. The plainly fake head of state with well-established ties to China threatening to jail his predecessor, a man who received 73 million votes in the last presidential election. Oh, and while we're on the subject of coups, might we have a word about the guy who just tried to assassinate Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh or the mobs of people who've continued to gather outside his house with the winking encouragement of Joe Biden and his administration? Mr. Normalcy has said virtually nothing about Kavanaugh's would-be assassin and is instead focusing on attacking the Supreme Court, a co-equal branch of government. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop, says Biden. Well, you also can't refuse to enforce our immigration laws and claim to be a champion of law and order. Biden's open border, open border policy, rather, is a treacherous abdication of one of the most basic duties of government, to protect people from foreign invasion. Now, from here, he moves into how the hearings distort political reality. He says the January 6th committee hearings paint the right as a uniquely evil and dangerous threat to democracy. The spectacle inverts the truth. For the left, violence and incivility are normal. And the country has come to accept the left's misbehavior as normal. Why is it that any time a black person is shot by a police officer, society tenses up? It isn't because Americans live in fear of reprisal from the right. In the days before the 2020 election, battered business owners were preparing as if for a hurricane. They weren't worried about what the Proud Boys would do. They feared what might happen if Trump won. America has become so inured to the left's tantrums that it came as a surprise when the repeal of Roe v. Wade did not result in an encore of the 2020 riots. Although there have been targeted attacks on churches that have gone mostly unnoticed by the press and Biden's partisan attorney general. So while leftists like to pretend that they're the beleaguered victims of the man, there's a clear double standard in our politics that works against the right. When the left gets out of line, the system treats them with kid gloves. The right gets shock and awe. The 2020 BLM rioters were glorified by the media and treated like freedom fighters. Rioters who besieged a federal courthouse in Portland had cases dropped while January 6th defendants, many of them charged with misdemeanors, have been universally characterized as domestic terrorists and treated as such by the justice system. Many are still languishing in pretrial detention almost two years later. A few have been driven to suicide, although curiously their deaths are not being counted in the media's running tally of the riot's toll, which does include police officers who took their own lives. The man who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt without warning was cleared without so much as being interviewed. The J6ers had been led to believe the country had become or was on the brink of becoming a tyranny, and they saw it as their patriotic duty to do something about it. 
Matthew Boos asks, was that an unreasonable belief? We live in a country where one political faction is empowered to reject election results by any legal or illegal means and impose their will through violence, while their opponents are commanded to lay down and take the abuse. He says, call it what you like, but this disparity in treatment is not democratic. It's also a really good way to disillusion people. It causes one to wonder if the left is intentionally radicalizing the right. The left certainly has not hesitated to use January 6th to crack down on their enemies even harder. Matthew Booth says, one wouldn't know any of this from tuning into the January 6th committee show. With the insurrection circus, the Democratic Party is demanding unconditional loyalty in the name of democratic principles they reject. The peaceful transfer of power ruled by consent, nonviolence. If there is a way back to a more civil and democratic America, the path does not lie through show trials on TV. Now, sadly, the people who most need to hear this probably are not the kind of people who could bear to listen to a program such as this one. In other words, they're, they're not seeking the uncomfortable truths that would better define where we are and, more importantly, where we seem to be headed as a nation. But you're not those people. And the fact that you are listening probably is a strong indicator that at some level you feel personal responsibility. Like, I need to step up, I need to do something, but maybe you don't know what. Well, for what it's worth, I'm going to suggest, first and foremost, maintain your awareness of what's going on, but don't lose sight of what really matters. I'm going to hearken back to something Lavoie Finnegan's brother, Guy Finnegan, mentioned uh, just a short time after Lavoie was killed. And he said, got to keep that awareness, but he says 95% of our awareness really needs to be on the positive things, the uplifting things around us that, that make life worthwhile. Okay, that would be your family. That would be your community. That would be your church family. That would be your business. That would be you making yourself a better person. Save about 5% of your awareness for all the crazy, stupid, ugly things that are going on and that are being done to us. But my advice is don't marinate in it. (laughs) This is The Brian Hyde Show.